Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, August 9th. Last week, Canada announcing it will resume Operation Unifier and the training of Ukrainian forces by Canadian military members. Well, joining us with details on all the latest news out of Ottawa, Mercedes Stevenson, fresh from holidays, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. The RCMP using spyware capable of accessing cell phone and computer microphones, cameras and other data as part of major investigations. Is this a sign that Canada's Privacy Act needs updating? We asked cybersecurity expert and tech analyst Ritesh Kotak. According to a recent survey, a quarter of Canadians described their financial situation as merely surviving. Joining us with advice to help you navigate your debt and finances is Marie Kozlowski, VP of BDO Canada. And it's officially the beginning of smartphone season. This is the time of year when smartphone makers start teasing the new phones that will soon be in our hands. Tech specialist Mike Yanni breaks down the new phone options, including another line of foldables. It was last week that Canada announced it will resume Operation Unifier and training of Ukrainian forces by um, uh, Canadian military members. Joining us with details on this and all the latest news out of Ottawa, we're joined this morning by Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Hello, Mercedes. Long time no talk. Hey, yeah, great to hear your voice again. Have you had a good summer so far? I I have. I was just um, chatting away there with your colleague and we were saying... um, I ended up getting COVID on the first day of my vacation. That was not really super ideal, but um, it was really nice to have some downtime. Um, And fortunately, I I didn't get anything super serious with the COVID. It definitely knocked me down, but uh, all recovered now. I can breathe normally again. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I I kind of enjoyed my uh, five days of forced isolation and watching um, Netflix. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I would have taken that or be like full body ache. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, okay, let's get to the business at hand. Uh, Canadian forces are going to resume training Ukrainian recruits. When and where does this all start to take place once again? So this is starting to take place in the next couple of weeks, and it's actually going to be in the United Kingdom. So it's going to be, uh, you know, just over 200 Canadian trainers, which doesn't sound like a lot, but keep in mind they're not soldiers that are going to fight. They're trainers that are going to train. Um, So you need a smaller number potentially because each one of those trainers has a number of students. And they're going to be training Ukrainian recruits. So not just um, folks who already joined the Ukrainian military, but people who are just joining. These are civilians who are in the process of becoming soldiers to fight in the war. Um, Because this is a war of attrition, for many ways uh, in parts of the Donbass, all the experts we talked to said it's really important, um, as morbid and horrible as it sounds, to be generating new troops constantly because otherwise they will simply not have enough people to fight. They're going to be learning really basic kind of soldiering skills. So, you know, how do you carry your rifle? How do you shoot? First aid, um, transporting stuff around. So this is sort of getting people the very basic skills so that they can then go out and fight. Um, It looks like it's going to be around 10,000 Ukrainians taking part. It's a program being run by actually the British Army, so Canada is going in support of it, and that's why um, we're going to be teaching these skills to Ukrainians in the United Kingdom, who we brought over to train and then sent back to Ukraine. Is this something that our Canadian troops have been doing before? I mean, I know we're obviously peacekeepers now. We don't necessarily, we're not on the front lines fighting, but is, is the training side of things, something that Canadian forces have been doing of late? So 
Um, it hasn't happened since the war started, but Canada was actually in Ukraine before that because of what happened in 2014. Um, the United States, Canada, a number of other countries have been sending trainers to Ukraine for years. The name of ours was Operation Unifier, um, and we trained thousands of Ukrainian troops that way. And in fact, that's part of where the credit has been given for uh, why the Ukrainian army has fought so well. A huge amount of it is just their tenacity and their courage, um, but the actual soldiering skills, which the Russians clearly did not think that they had to that level, have been taught by a lot of Western countries. And the Ukrainian government has really been keen to restart that program. Obviously a bit hard to restart that in Ukraine right now with what is happening. You'd be targeted, you'd be a combatant, uh, potentially. And so instead, what they are doing is, is doing it outside of Ukraine. But also training in general is a huge area of strength for the Canadian Armed Forces, especially actually the Canadian Special Forces. Um, CSOR, which is the Canadian Special Operations Regiment, has been doing this kind of stuff in Africa for years and the whole idea is basically to be what they call a force multiplier so you you are uh, giving people skills that multiply their effectiveness uh, and, and Canadians are just kind of I've watched them train um, they're naturally good kind of teachers uh, these troops the way that they talk to people um, the way that they're able to engage them the way that they teach the skills a lot of countries really like to have Canadian troops as trainers because they're seen as so professional and so um, good at their jobs and, and often quite well liked by the forces that they are training, in my experience, um, from having watched them. There's also some Canadian special operations forces who are actually inside of Ukraine and they are involved in a little bit of training too, but that is much more specific stuff. That is not like huge numbers of people and it's obviously a lot more sensitive, so we don't know any of the details uh, of exactly what they're training people on but that would be things like equipment uh, because you know there's tons of equipment being shipped in right. all of the time um, and some of it is new to the Ukrainian military you can imagine trying to fight a war and all of a sudden you have all these systems you've never been trained on in your life um, so there there has been uh, some attempts to try to help with that by not just Canada but all Western uh, and kind of allied countries and we're also training them on how to fire the M777 howitzer guns those are those big artillery guns we donated um, and that has been happening in a third country the Canadian troops have been training them how to use those okay let's talk about the handgun ban Ottawa temporarily banning handgun imports until this permanent freeze comes into effect is this is this a popular move does it feel like or are people unhappy about that I think it really depends kind of who you talk to and, and to some degree where they are geographically and, and where they feel about guns. Yeah. Um, the idea is that they're trying to uh, ban handguns because they are used far more in crime in Canada than long guns are. Um, so they're trying to shut it down. And when they announced they were going to do this in May, they actually had the reverse effect and handgun sales went through the roof yeah. because people were going to buy their gun. Uh, before it became illegal. And, and that was obviously an issue. If you're trying to cap the number of handguns, but you take a policy approach that drives the number of handguns up. <laughs> kind of um, defeats the purpose, right? Yeah, a little bit of a defeat. So the, the idea was to move too fast for people to really be able to stockpile or the stores. Anyhow, they still have two, had two weeks from the time of the announcement to do it. Um, and of course, yes, it, it will stop a, a very, very, very large amount of legal handguns that are coming in because two-thirds of Canadian handguns are made in the U.S., but, of course, the big question is how many handguns are not legal that are being smuggled across borders in places like Toronto, Vancouver, uh, Windsor. And we don't even have the numbers on that because Canadian police don't track most crime, gu crime guns. Uh, so we don't actually know where most guns that have been used in a crime 
came from to get a sense of the stats, how many are legal, how many are illegal coming across the border smuggled. Um, so that's certainly an area that they're going to have to deal with because you can shut down all the legal guns, but if you're not shutting down the illegal guns, mm-hmm. it, again, um, you're not really achieving the purpose of the program. So we're still waiting for details on what they're going to do to try to give the CBSA, uh, Canada Border Services Agency, more tools to search and stop and, and prevent that illegal flow. So we've yet to see... Um, how this is all kind of going to shake out in terms of the use of those handguns in crime in Canada. And before we let you go, I wanted to talk about this because it seems to always create an uproar when Justin Trudeau and his family go on vacation. They're headed back to Costa Rica. Two-week vacation, why is this such a big deal for people? I think people get angry because they feel they're being lectured, perhaps, um, uh, about things like the environment. And then they see the Prime Minister taking a private jet with his family. When he got off the jet... They didn't have masks on. I don't know whether they were wearing them on the jet or not. We haven't seen that. Um, But that created kind of a lot of outrage. And frankly, this is something that happens to every politician. Uh, It happened to Donald Trump. It happened to Barack Obama. It happened to George Bush. um, And it happened to Stephen Harper. Whenever a politician goes on vacation, people get really angry about it. In fairness, politicians are people. They do have families especially a prime minister, works extremely long hours, and they don't see a lot of their family. So vacation is something that every world leader takes, but it's also controversial when every world leader takes it because people are concerned that maybe they're not home. Or or, um, more often, I find it's an interesting kind of signal about where their popularity might be at at that time. Ooh, interesting. All right, we'll end on that note. It's a pleasure to have you back. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief, host of The West Block. And The West Block re-airs Sundays at 11 a.m. on 770 CHQR after it airs on global television. The RCMP is using spyware capable of accessing cell phone and computer microphones, cameras and other data. It's all part of a major investigation they're in the midst of. Is this a sign that Canada's Privacy Act needs some updating? A lot of people up in arms about all of this. So joining us to talk about it is cybersecurity expert and tech analyst Ritesh Kotak. Hi, Ritesh. Thanks for joining us again. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about uh, what we know of this story so far and this spyware that's being used by the RCMP. What's the latest on just the, the background of it all? So this is essentially a tool that the RCMP can deploy on target devices that allows them to take over essentially take over a device or, or listen in so they can turn on the camera without you knowing, turn on your microphone without you knowing, read your text messages. Now, in order for them to do this, they do need judicial authorization. So essentially a judge has to sign off on it. It's a very high bar before they can go and use this intrusive tool. It's not just they send you an email or or just embed it onto somebody's device. Uh, um, it was It's only been used, according to the RCMP, 32 times since 2017 on 49 devices but this was all uh new to canadians and uh, a lot of revelations uh, that were made in the parliamentary hearing yesterday so they're probing the use of this spyware because canadians are upset about it or because we just didn't really know of its use until of late so there's a couple reasons for it the first one is the privacy commissioner um was not briefed on the use so usually when organizations especially government organizations want to use new tools they they got to do something that's called a privacy impact assessment and this privacy impact assessment should definitely be done before you use the tool and there should be some rigor around it well the privacy commissioner said well we were never um consulted about this um 
I think up until up until recently. And also the RCMP has been kind of mute on uh, the use of this tool when in reality there's been stuff on the internet um, around governments using this type of tool, um, deploying it. We've seen some very high-profile cases um, on journalists, on Jeff Bezos even, um, being a target of a state-sponsored, um, uh, essentially a state-sponsored uh, uh, attack on on his device using similar tools. So this is not new, but the fact the RCMP was using it, it brought up questions around privacy, when they use it, and what uh, what framework do they use with respect to the ethical and legal um, obligations that they have on its use. You know, as you said earlier, there are requirements in the criminal code for using it, but does that sort of, you know, beg the question then, do we need to beef up that criminal code requirement or does more need to be done in order to make sure that it's being used for the correct purposes? Yeah, so there's a couple of suggestions. The first one is uh, amendment to the Privacy Act, where it makes it mandatory for these agencies to do um, to do a privacy impact assessment. And and here's the thing: um, Do we need a legislative framework for this? I think most of us would agree. We kind of do that kind of look at the ethical privacy and legal considerations before deploying this type of uh, this type of tool because privacy and security should not be a checkbox exercise saying okay we did a PIA done there should be rigor essentially around it given the fact that this is so intrusive there should be oversight and it can't be something that again is an afterthought it needs to be something that's proactive and built right from the beginning because today it's this type of tool but Clearly, our lives are becoming more digital and we're going to be having more digital devices. So the technology is going to have to evolve. So we need that fundamental framework. Um, so it's not just, oh, here's a new tool. Let's test it out. No, there has to be some sort of framework around it. I would think there must be some fears too. You know, if we're just finding out about this spyware, what else is out there that we don't know about that's being used? Yeah, that's a that's a fair question. And and quite frankly, um, law enforcement or government have been caught using tools, and it's always after it's always after the fact. I think back to the Clearview AI situation with facial recognition, where police services said they weren't using it when it turned out they they were using it in certain circumstances, and that really does erode trust between the public. Um, and and the police, but on on the flip side is it's it is a fine line because police services do have a job to do when it comes to investigating um, investigating crimes. I think 32 times it being deployed um, or 30 32 cases of it being deployed isn't it shows that it's not you know hundreds of times mm-hmm. or thousands of times. But does that make it okay? And and we got to remember. Back before, we would just pick up the phone and dial a number and and call somebody. Well, we don't really do that anymore. Uh, We use apps, and these apps have next-generation encryption, and it becomes that much more sophisticated for criminals to circumvent traditional wiretaps. So the police have to think about being innovative and using new tools. But the question now becomes is when they use those tools, what protections are put in place to ensure that those tools aren't weaponized against the community? And do you think, does it seem that for the average Canadian there's really any effect or is it just ultimately that the opportunity is there for them to use it should they want to check into what you or I am, are doing? Yeah, so I don't see the, first of all, the police don't have the resources to check up on 
check up on 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 every single Canadian and and people. These are highly targeted situations when this type of tool is being deployed, and there is a lot of rig uh, rigor already. So, for example, it's 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 not simple to just get a to get a wiretap on an individual. You there's a lot of steps. You have to show that you've exhausted all other appeals, and you need a judge to sign off on um, on the wiretap. So there is that. There is that oversight. So, should Canadians be concerned about uh, about the RCMP um, going after everyday individuals with these types of tools? No, these tools are expensive. They take a lot of work. They require a lot of resources. There is some oversight, but again, that doesn't negate the fact that there should be oversight to ensure that protections are in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you're doing something hinky, they're probably not keeping an eye on you. But do you believe that in the end, you touched on it a bit earlier, but is Canada's Privacy Act out of date? Yes, I think a lot of us would agree it is out of date, uh, even on the con- on the commercial side um, as well. That's why there is a, a bill right now, Bill C-27, that looks at kind of beefing up the consumer protection um, si- side of things, also creates a tribunal and creates an AI and data commissioner. So we are seeing some movement. At the, I believe the bill's in its second reading. But then the Privacy Act, which um, which the federal government falls under, um, clearly, there needs to be some sort of amendment um, to it, or I guess an addition, where we, where organizations or or, or policing organizations should be mandated that anytime they use net new technology, it's not here's a here's a link and a username and password and go at it. No, there should be um, an ethical review, a legal review, a privacy review with with oversight. Um, and that stuff needs to be audited as well by a trusted third party. And I think if we have that, it will allow police services to leverage and utilize these tools to keep Canadians safe and allow them to do their investigation. And at the same time, ensure that the tools don't get weaponized and the public interest is protected. Thanks so much for breaking it down for us, Ritesh. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Ritesh Kotak, cybersecurity tech analyst. You can find more at Ritesh Kotak. K-O-T-A-K dot com. According to a recent survey by Research Co., one quarter of Canadians described their financial situation as merely surviving. Joining us with some advice to help you navigate your debt and finances is Marie Kozlowski, BDO Canada Limited Vice President. Good morning to you, Marie. Thanks for being with us once again. Good morning, Sue. Let's yeah, talk- very very worrying worrying statistics that really is let's talk about that stat because that's that's pretty sad it's pretty scary how are albertans particularly feeling do we have any any numbers on how we are faring here in this province yes we do from another poll we know that the majority of albertans are rating their financial situation as poor or very poor and Albertans are really not optimistic that the situation will improve. In fact, their they, they're, 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 they're thoughts are negative and that it will, their situation will decline in the next six months. And we know that the biggest stresses are debt, uh, layered on by lack of emergency funds and savings, and then also inflation, uh, a 40-year high, and add on to that rising interest rates. And uh, you've got... Um, a mix that really creates an incredible amount of stress and concern for people, especially Albertans. 
do you think, Marie, we're still sort of at that place where, you know, we relied and we survived on, on oil and gas in this province and a lot of people made a lot of money. We borrowed, but we bought toys and all those kinds of things because it, it wasn't really a big deal. Do you think there's still sort of a little bit of, um, you know, repercussions coming from sort of that lifestyle that we had? Well, I do think that um, this is what I've seen, that some people are holding back because we've always been very optimistic and continue to be, into, you know, actually in this province. But those, those times may not come back. And yes, um, sometimes we have to give up the toys. Sometimes we have to look at um, the difficult um, uh, situation that we have in terms of our debt load and our finances. So, you know, we're optimistic, but we need to maybe take a step back and, and take a clear look at what our situation is. And there are warning signs that people can look for. Let's talk about them then. Give give folks some of those signs that maybe debt could possibly be coming unmanageable. For sure. Um, and these are the, the I, I, I'll kind of list off a number, but these some of them are obvious. When you make only the minimum payment on a credit card or a line of credit, or you use one credit card or a line of credit to pay off another or pay down another, where you're paying bills late, or where you're even skipping payments on bills, and you use a credit card as a source of financing rather than a convenience. And then when you exceed borrowing limits on your cards or your overdraft, you know, when you've got no money left at the end of the month or to the next payday, and you have to ask friends or family for loans, then you get creditors calling in some cases, collection agencies, and that feeling of stress and anxiety builds up. And when you recognize that, then is the time to reach out to find out what options you have to help yourself and go from merely surviving to stabilizing your situation and hopefully in the future thriving. So we make a phone call and then what happens? What's the process if, if you are sort of in financial straits and, and you call, you know, BDO, for example, what happens? Take us through maybe a couple of the steps of what it might look like well, to get some help. Yeah. As I've said before, um, we give a free confidential consultation. It's very hard for people to call, but don't be afraid to do that because knowledge is power, as I've said before. What would happen is an individual can come into one of our offices and sit down with either myself or one of my uh, um, senior people, and they can take a look at your options, uh, your situation, first of all, and explain the various options to you. And there are often and many options. It's just that when you're so stressed, and overwhelmed, it's hard to to see them. Um, We also offer consultations by telephone or by video conference. So we can gather all the information in those kind of non-confrontational ways. It's it's not, not, uh, if you shouldn't consider it as being, um, uh, as I said, um, a difficult thing to do. There's no judgment. Our job is to provide you with information and advise you of your options. And I do know that once an individual knows what their options are, it will immediately reduce their stress and anxiety because they they realize there are options. And maybe some of those are simply taking a look at your financial situation, finding out what debt you have, looking at your budget, seeing what you can do. Do you have assets you could potentially sell? Or can you leverage some equity in your home, pay down your debt? And also, you know, right now with interest rates going up, Mm. is your mortgage coming up for renewal? If it is, consider taking a penalty by renegotiating your mortgage and locking in at a lower rate. These are all just simple solutions, but 
people often don't focus on them until they've sat down with somebody who's done that independent review of their situation and given them their options and answered, of course, the questions that they very likely will have. And my team, are uh, do we do that all day? And we do that every day. And we know that that's a very positive thing to do. Thing to do. And we can also direct people to, for example, our online tools and calculators at debtsolutions.bdo.ca. So if people are struggling financially and they're feeling overwhelmed, the sooner they reach out, the more solutions will be available to them. I'm a big fan uh, normally of burying my head in the sand, Marie. So this is one of those times, though, when it comes to finances, it doesn't work well. You need to put a plan in place. And once you have those steps, it becomes more achievable, right? When it's that big, giant picture, it's just too much for us sometimes. Yeah, it is. You know, um, finances, we, you know, we've, we've been taught... Uh, that, you know, having debt isn't a good thing. You know, having you've you got to have an A1 credit rating. Sometimes situations get out of control and, you know, people incur debt for one reason or another. And it's not just poor money management. You may have lost your job. You may have had job interruptions. We know that from the pandemic. But now is the time to recognize sometimes you, you haven't been able to control that. Uh, but what you can do you have the ability to reach out to gather information in a non-judgmental format, either in person or by telephone or by video, and gather the information and then ask the questions. Because as soon as I know for sure that as soon as we sit down with people in whatever format, the questions come. And when I answer the questions, you know, people are grateful because they can see a road or maybe a number of different roads, and then they can make their choice mm-hmm. and they feel empowered. As I said, knowledge is power. Just knowing having there are options out there make things more manageable. You know, they, uh, I would I would strongly urge um, individuals who are feeling overwhelmed or stressed with debt to reach out to a licensed insolvency trustee such as BDO. You can they can call one eight five five BDO debt or visit the uh, website debtsolutions.bdo.ca. Perfect. I guarantee that it will be the start of. Make it turning a new page, mm-hmm. you know, starting a fresh financial chapter. I'm sure there was more than one person that needed to hear that. Thanks for joining us, Marie. Oh, you're very welcome, and thank you very much. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Marie Kozlowski, BDO Canada Limited Vice President. 8.42 now, and it's officially the beginning of smartphone season. This is the time of year when smartphone makers start to tease the new phones that could be in our hands in the fall, and it all kicks off tomorrow. You heard it in that business report. Samsung expected to make a major announcement. Tech specialist Mike Yanni has been keeping tabs on all of it and is going to help us know what we should expect and maybe what we need to buy. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning. Uh, Samsung foldable phones. Really? Are people still buying those? Or, uh, why? Is this a big thing? Yeah, you know what? Foldable phones, they, they were unveiled about four years ago, and there was a very slow uptake, but they are becoming more popular. Like, Take a look at some of these numbers here. So last year, 7.1 million foldable phones were sold. Mm. That's not a bad number. Nope. So sales increased about 264% year over year from 2020 to 21. However... When you look at the bigger picture, it's still a far cry from regular phones. Uh, 362 million phones shipped in the fourth quarter of last year alone. Wow. So you see that they've got a long ways to go, but they're definitely getting more popular.
Is there any sort of, you know, results of testing on how good they are? Because we just had a texter say, you know, if you're buying a super expensive foldable phone, you're asking for trouble because anytime there's a moving part, it's susceptible to wear and tear, right? 100% true. And, I, you know, I've tested them over the last four years, and that's the case. They are getting better, but there's still continual problems with them. You have a folding screen. So you know that glass isn't typical glass because... You know that glass does not fold. So it's more of a, a hybrid glass or almost like a hard plastic. Of course, they call it glass, but it's not really that. So, you know, you have that, the, the crease in there that's noticeable when you open up the phone. Things can get under. There's a special screen protector underneath the glass. You know, little bits of dust can get in under there. Uh, we've seen, even with last year's model, uh, times where the, the screen protector will bubble over time as you keep opening and closing, opening and closing. There's been issues with the hinges. Um, so there's definitely issues with foldable phones, but they are getting better with each uh, you know, model that comes out. And of course, Samsung expected to announce two models tomorrow. Two foldable ones. But I mean, why would we want to go to that when smartphones are so popular and they're so smart and we don't really have any issues with them? I mean, you know, the iPhone obviously is the big one. No, of course. Yeah. Do we need them? <laughs> No, Maybe I don't it's think trendy. we really need them. Texter just said they just bought the Z Flip 3 last month, and they really like it. So I guess... Uh, you know what? Right? I also... That's my favorite. So there's two... Let's talk about these two models that are expected to be announced tomorrow. So is the old. So think of that almost as a thin, narrow smartphone that opens like a book. Okay. The other is the Flip. So this is more like a makeup compact, and it flips upwards. That's the smaller of the two. That's the one I always gravitate to. So I agree with that 100%. It's a little bit more smaller. It's a little bit more manageable. My issue with the Fold, the bigger one, is that as a phone itself, when it's closed, it's a little bit too narrow. Then you open it up, and all of a sudden it's way too big. So there's no happy medium for me. So it'll be interesting to see if Samsung addresses that, because I know I'm not the only problem or only person uh, who said that in the past. And as a phone, do we even use our phones to phone people anymore? Right. They're becoming to the point where, no, we're not. I will say it is really neat having a smartphone that opens up to a tablet, and it feels really cool, and it looks cool, and it's a good showy, you know, show-off piece. Do we need them? No, no, we don't need them. You know, it's, it'll be interesting to see if, the, if, you know, there's an uptick in sales, if this keeps going, or if people are just going to gradually say, you know what? Nah, I just want a normal smartphone. Yeah. So you say it's smartphone season. What does that mean? Does everybody come out with a new version? Oh, yeah. Oh. This is just the beginning. So tomorrow, of course, uh, Samsung has their announcement. You know, every September, Apple always has an announcement with smartphones. Um, and you know what? I should point out, too, Samsung is not the only company coming out with foldable phones. Motorola is expected to announce one in the next couple of weeks. Other companies are lining up with their version of foldable phones. We haven't heard anything from Apple yet, but we know Apple doesn't usually, they're not the first one to do this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. They kind of wait and other companies have them release them, then they look back and go, okay, what did they do right? What did they do wrong? And then they'll kind of perfect it before they release it. The big question is, though, is Apple even going to bother? Is this too niche? Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, of course, as I'm saying that and you're talking, I'm thinking it's the new school year. So, yes, new phones, new computers, all of that kind of stuff. This is the time, isn't it? This is all timed according to market and according to dollars. It, it all makes sense when you think about it because, of course, back to school supplies. And, I mean, laptops, too. Expect a whole bunch mm-hmm. of laptop announcements in the next couple of weeks. Uh, this is the big tech season other than Christmas. Let's talk about laptops next time we chat with you, okay? 
Sounds good. All right, deal. Thanks, Mike. Mike Yanni, the gadget guy. You can find him at gadget underscore guy, at gadget guy Mike. And on YouTube, look for his channel. Just search search gadget guy Mike Yanni. He's got tons of great videos.